Blog Talk Radio. My minions, my name's Tom Mark Wassell, Presidente. Welcome aboard on this very hot but pleasant Saturday morning here in the Midwest of Indianapolis, Indiana. You have stumbled across the number one internet sports talk show in the world between the hours of 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And welcome to all of our affiliate radio stations across this great United States. <coughs> 917-889-8516 is our digits. If I can make it through the next two hours without losing my voice, that will be fantastic. The great thing about it is I've got some help along the way. Tyson Lawton-Sawyer <coughs> uh, calling us uh, from up north of the border. Uh, Going to be talking IndyCar with us today. Also, Steve Wilson of uh, Speedway Digest is joining us uh, to talk NASCAR, Daytona, and, oh, yeah, we had a heck of a finish Last week in the NASCAR race, if you missed it, I'm going to tell you, you missed one for the ages. So we'll be talking about that as well. And then we're going to get into our college football talk as we slowly, yes, that's right, college football is coming back. Myself and executive producer of The Balance, Rick, we're going to be doing that. And then we've got Mo from the BS Sports Show and Grant Allstiff going to be breaking down the latest in the NBA. And, yeah, and LeBron goes to the City of Angels. My name's Tom Mark with Sal Presidente. Myself and Tyson Lott, so I'll be right back, right here on the Balanced Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. 
It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. <clears throat> Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, and welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Let's get things rolling. Joining us now from onpitroad.com, Mr. Tyson Lodzlager. Tyson, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you this morning? Well, I'm struggling with something that crawled in my throat overnight, and I'm not really sure what it was. But something happened. I woke up this morning, and I have had the hardest time being able to talk. But that's okay, uh, which, is, which is hard for someone in my position because I talk for a living. So I have to be able to talk. So I'm not sure what's going on, but uh, we'll, get it all, we'll get it all straight and ready to go. So, Tyson, uh, I know you're going to handle our IndyCar segment today. I certainly appreciate it, but certainly do want to talk with you a little bit about NASCAR as well. But before that, let's talk a little bit about the loss of uh, Mario, Mario Andretti's wife, uh, Dee, I believe is her name. Uh, she died of complications from open-heart surgery. I know that there were some reports uh, this week that she uh, died from a heart attack. I think, I don't know, I think she had both, but I think what really caused uh, her to pass was um, complications from open heart surgery, and, and I and I get that from a tweet uh, from Michael Andretti, who who said that contrary to what has been reported, that his mother died uh, from complications from open heart surgery. So our thoughts and prayers go out to the Andretti family, but they've got to get ready for Iowa also. So talk with us a little bit about that, and uh, you know any thoughts that you may have on that before we move on. It uh, definitely is a really sad situation. Um, she really was the, the matriarch of that family, obviously the wife of 
Mario Andretti, uh, who is one of the most famous famous race car drivers in the world, um, and, and really always will be. Um, so a really sad uh, sad day when when she passed away. And Marco and Marco Andretti was the one who announced her death. And obviously, as you said, he's got to get ready for Iowa this weekend, uh, a track where he's had a lot of success at. But that's something that always is weighing on your mind. But Going into a race like Iowa, Mark Wendretti really needs uh, a lot of confidence and needs a good run. And maybe just knowing that, that he can pay homage to his grandmother, maybe that can uh, give him that motivation to run well at Iowa and maybe that team can get back to where they need to be. Because, I mean, the last several several years for uh, Mark Wendretti really have not been favorable, not where he wants it to be. And he really uh, he hasn't won a race if I remember correctly, since his last win, which was at Iowa um, quite a few years ago. So uh, Andretti could really use some some motivation to run well, and maybe this could be it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, our thoughts and prayers go out to the Andretti family. You know, I want to uh, just venture off track, no pun intended, uh, real quickly here. Did you see the end of last week's uh, uh, NASCAR race up in Chicago? So last week uh, on on Sunday was Canada Day, so basically our Independence Day. So unfortunately, I was, well, not unfortunately, but I was with family and friends <laughs> that day, and I wasn't able to watch the race, but I've seen the replay of that finish probably about 15 times because really an amazing race. Usually Chicagoland, they, they move that race from September, the opening weekend of the playoffs, to uh, to this July first weekend, basically, and it seemed to work out really well. The 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 track was hot and slick, um, and we saw uh, from what it seems like really great racing on a mile and a half track, which we haven't seen in a long time for NASCAR. And they didn't, you know, there were no games in terms of uh, the the restrictor plate package that we saw at the All Star race. That wasn't in play or the, this cup race uh, at Chicagoland. It was just straight-up racing. And uh, another thing that I found really fascinating about that finish uh, between Kyle Busch and Kyle Larson is Larson just raced his way up to, to Kyle Busch, which you it's been more uncommon to see that in re- recent years where we see a, a really close finish between two drivers, unless a late caution is what allowed that to happen. But that wasn't the case on Sunday. That was just two drivers racing really hard for the win. There were no cautions in the last 60 or so laps, and Larson was able to drive up to him, and you had a last lap battle uh, for the win, which is really incredible. We haven't seen that in NASCAR in quite a long time and certainly not on a mile-and-a-half track. So uh, maybe that's that's the answer. We don't need um, – we don't need night races uh, on mile-and-a-half tracks. We don't need these races – taking place at four or five o'clock in the afternoon. Once the temperatures cool down, we need these races happening in the heat of the day. Well, yeah, it's going to be hot conditions for the drivers, but it's going to make the track hot and slick and make it really hard for them to drive on, but it makes it racier. And that helped uh, fans see a really great finish. Uh, so it was, uh, it's nice to see uh, NASCAR really kind of turning a corner <clears throat> with a solid 1.5 uh, mile race 
Yeah, absolutely. I was so it was exciting to, to watch. I, I'll tell you that. Now, I, I and I we're going to get into this more in our NASCAR segment. And I know a lot of fans were kind of, and it depends on which side of the fence you were on. If you were a Kyle Busch fan or a a, uh, a Larson uh, fan, uh, but a lot of fans were saying, "Hey, this is a little bit too aggressive." What happened is, uh, you, I believe it was uh, Kyle that got into the wall. Uh, and then, or wait, wait a minute, it was. Uh, Larson that got into the wall, and then um, he went back. It was basically a payback type thing. So uh, Kyle got Larson, and Larson got Kyle. Uh, Kyle hits the wall, goes over the finish line, couldn't even do a burnout because he didn't have a front tire. Uh, a lot of people thought that was a little too aggressive. Thoughts on that? I think it's just racing for a win with one lap to go, and you got two drivers, one of which Kyle Larson. He hadn't won yet this year, still doesn't have a win. Uh, and he's going hard for a win. And Kyle Busch, you know he's going to be uh, aggressive to the very end and always has been. And Larson really the same way. These are two drivers probably, I mean, it, it sounds kind of dumb to say that they're two of the most competitive drivers in the series because when you get to the top level of your sport, you're going to be very competitive. But it's true. These two, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, it's hard to find drivers more competitive than them, more hungry to win than them. Kyle Busch could win times a year and he's still going to be hungry and go after that 19th win so I mean I don't think either of them went too far I don't think it was too aggressive I think that was just two drivers that really wanted to win and they were fighting for it Absolutely. Like I said, it was an exciting uh, uh, win, an exciting finish to me as as I watched it uh, unfold there. Let's talk a little bit about IndyCar. IndyCar up in Iowa, uh, up in Newton, Iowa. I've been to that track a few times. It literally is in the middle of the cornfield, and I am not lying about that when I say that. You're driving and driving and driving, and boom, there's a racetrack, and then you drive some more, and there's more cornfield, more cornfield. So it really literally is in the middle of a cornfield. Uh, so the name is fitting. Uh, I believe it's called the Iowa Corn 350. I believe I got that right. If not, I do apologize. Uh, but this sub-one-mile Iowa Speedway offers a very unique challenge to IndyCar drivers. Uh, talk with us a little bit about the challenges that Newton offers uh, and why it's so challenging to IndyCar drivers and teams up there. So Iowa is a, a really challenging track for a lot of reasons, and one of those reasons is really simply just because it's a fairly new racetrack. This is only a track that's been uh, you know, in commission since, I think, 2007. Uh, Rusty Wallace helped design and, and build this racetrack, and it's not a track that we see a lot of IndyCar races, or we see a track type that we see a lot of IndyCar races on. It's a really short oval only about a mile and you know compared to the other tracks definitely the shortest that IndyCar races on at the moment and it poses that challenge but then you also have the challenge of the K&N Pro Series they're racing here the same weekend and they're going to be on a totally different tire totally different uh, car and they're going to be driving kind of different racing lines so the the groove isn't going to be where IndyCar wants it to be and the, the K&M Pro Series drivers, the group probably won't be where they want it to be. So you're going to have, um, you're going to have these drivers that are going to be, uh, they're trying to find grip on the track that probably isn't there. And that's going to make it a huge challenge for the weekend. And then you also have to think Iowa in the middle of the summer, the Midwest is going to be extremely hot. So kind of what we were talking about with NASCAR before, it's going to be a hot and slick track. These drivers won't have a lot of grip, and it's going to be uh, 
a really interesting fight. A lot of times in the past, this race has been a night race, and then this year we don't have that. It's it's a daytime race, so that'll be something that drive that the drivers will have to maneuver as well. Yeah, it's a daytime race because that's TV and that's money and that's NBC's relationship with NASCAR, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Uh, but, yeah, it is a, a day race. Uh, it's day, you know, well, briefly, we will talk about that. I know business is business. Uh, but because of the way that NBC wanted to gobble up everything, which is it's their right, it's, they have the money to do it, let them do it, and I'm totally okay mm-hmm. with it because they do great broadcast. but there certainly should be, have been a way to work it out uh, where IndyCar did not lose its already in place races that they had. They didn't lose the race. I shouldn't say that. Just the day changed, which is, I guess, okay, but I think a lot of people liked that well, because it was a night race. You know what? I agree and I disagree at the same time, and I think I think this is going to make for a really exciting day race, and I really enjoyed Iowa at night, but after watching uh, the the races at ISM Raceway the, the past couple of years, I've found that track, which I, I thoroughly enjoy, ISM or Phoenix. Um, I thoroughly enjoy that racetrack. I think it's one of the most exciting uh, tracks just because it's so different. But then the last two years, they ran that race at night in IndyCar, and I didn't think it worked. And uh, particularly this year, I think with the the new the new car it didn't work and being at night um, <clears throat> excuse me didn't help that fact so I think maybe running this race during the middle of the day could help and maybe uh, change it and, and see how that works but I do agree that you know uh, NBC in the last couple of years they've really taken up their core of motorsports coverage which is really great the fact that they're you know, they want to be a motorsports powerhouse. They, they you said F1 and gave it up uh, at the end of last year. ESPN now has that. But they used to have F1, IndyCar, and uh, NASCAR all basically for the last, um, well, F1 for the entire season and NASCAR and IndyCar um, solely from July on. And that meant for a lot of coverage, but it also meant for a lot of shifting coverage. So sometimes, uh, particularly, you look at next week, I'm not sure um, if it'll be the same way, but the Toronto race typically ends up uh, being shown on CNBC, which to me is ridiculous. Um, You're putting it on a non-sports channel, a non, you know, not their network. It doesn't make sense. People aren't going to be able to find it. People aren't going to watch. So, I definitely think there needs to be some maneuvering done to make sure that they they have all their races, you know, on channels that people can find. Uh, And that does sometimes mean putting, you know, NASCAR to priority and putting it at night, especially when it is a race like Daytona, and then, you know, having a Sunday afternoon IndyCar race. But it could get more eyes on the IndyCar series by not having to compete against anything as well. Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I, I do agree they should never put a race on CNBC. You know, a lot of cable uh, networks don't even carry CNBC. So uh, all the better uh, reason to uh, listen to the IndyCar race on the IndyCar radio network. I'll give them a little plug there. <laughs> uh, my buddy Jake Query uh, uh, does the turns over there, and uh, Jake's a good guy. He's been on the show before. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, they do a great broadcast. So uh, just uh, listen to him on IndyCar radio. Uh, so you got the top. Uh, three, you know, the two of the top three are Andretti. Uh, we talked a little bit about Andretti at the beginning of the broadcast. Uh, Scott Dixon, Chip Canasty, Ryan Hunter Ray, 
uh, with Andretti and Alexander Rossi with Andretti. All Hondas, uh, two Americans, and one guy from New Zealand. Uh, talk with us about the top three overall going into Iowa. Ryan Hunter race. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Hunter race kind of found his way uh, in there, um, sort of sneakily. I mean, he he started the season um, kind of slow, and he hadn't really been around all that much the last couple of years. Like he won the title. In 2014, won the Indy 500 a few a few years ago, but then um, the last couple of years, it's just he's kind of fell off the radar a bit. And then now he's in the top three in the championship hunt, and Dixon has a, a fairly large margin over both Hunter Ray and Rossi. But Hunter Ray's found himself to be very consistent. Obviously, had a great Detroit weekend when he uh, finished second in the first race and then won the, the second race. And that really propelled his way up through the point standings. So Ryan Hunter-Ray is in a, a really good position. I don't know if he'll be around to win the championship, but Iowa's a good track for him. Toronto, where we go next week, uh, is a really good track for him. He's won there once or twice. Uh, so Hunter-Ray's found himself in a good spot right now. Uh, Dixon is a beast, really. I mean, there's no other way to put it. And he's, he's showing that even – as he continues to get older, he continues to get better. Uh, I think he's going to be tough to beat from this point in the season where he's already leading the points. A lot of times he seem at the kind of come from behind. I look at a few years ago when Juan Pablo Montoya led the point innings the entire season. And then at Sonoma Raceway, the last race of the season, Scott Dixon overtook him for the points lead and won the championship. Montoya had led the points all season that was Sonoma was the only race he hadn't led the points if I remember correctly so I mean Dixon is is used to coming from behind to win the championship or at least often has to do it and now about midway through the season he has the points lead to himself and has a fairly big gap so I think these guys are in trouble and then you have Rossi who's kind of uh he's he's making some enemies in the IndyCar paddock right now he's got Takuma Sato pretty upset with him uh he's really knocked around Robert Wickens uh, a few times this season, and Wickens is kind of having enough of it. Uh, Rossi's kind of wearing the black hat in the paddock right now, and he might need to stop you know, racing the way he is and stop being so aggressive because it's making people mad, and people are not going to give him the room anymore. They're not going to give him leeway if, they're, if he's going to keep knocking them off the track. Uh, so I think Rossi has kind of put himself in a position where he's going to have a tough time making his way up through the point standings and through the field, really. <clears throat> Absolutely. Alexander Rossi, great guy, great driver, very aggressive, certainly what you want out of a driver. Uh, but he certainly, uh, the Andretti uh, team and Rossi didn't earn any friends here in Indianapolis this year uh, during qualification uh, as well. Uh, so let's kind of go through uh, the stables, if you will, and uh, let's talk a little bit about the strategy that these teams have for Iowa. As we mentioned, it's a short uh, track, if you will, uh, by definition, a mile track. So it's a short track. It's a challenging track. Uh, it's in the daytime, so we're dealing with a new element that they've not dealt with before. How are teams getting ready uh, for uh, the – and I'm sorry, it was the Iowa Corn 300, not the 350. My apologies for that. It, that is stand corrected on that uh, for the Iowa – Corn 300, how are the teams uh, approaching this? What are the crew chiefs and the engineers doing? Remember, we've got the new Aero Kit now, which is, uh, again, completely different race. Uh, it's same race, different day, temperatures, all of this come into play as they get ready for Iowa. 
I think, yeah, the, the main uh, approach from an engineer standpoint and from a race strategist standpoint is to, you know, keep an eye on the weather and see how hot it's really going to get for it this weekend. Because when it gets hot, this track is going to be a lot different to, to undertake. Uh, it's going to be very difficult. The tires are not going to grip to the track nearly as well. And that's going to be something that, that all of these teams are going to keep an eye on. So I think that will be the main standpoint of the weekend. And then from a driver's standpoint, um, you just have to keep yourself hydrated and be ready throughout the weekend. And I think we've seen over the last um, over the last little while, IndyCar drivers seem to have that stamina down pat when it comes to hot weather conditions, whereas NASCAR drivers, I think, you know, for them, they're in a, a full-bodied stock car and um, the temperatures do get quite a bit higher and they're running longer races. They don't have that same stamina that these IndyCar drivers seem to be showing. So the heat probably won't be a, as big a factor for them as it was uh, the Xfinity and truck drivers uh, in Iowa when they raced uh, mid-June. Uh, because it was very hot then as well. Um, so I think uh, the main approach from from the teams is going to be to keep an eye on the weather and see how the tires are going to grip to the track. And, you know, we might see the racing line even change uh, from recent years just because we, we've always seen for the IndyCar race at Iowa, they tend to run kind of the top line quite a bit, whereas, you know, maybe with the, the weather conditions and, and seeing where tires are going to grip the track, maybe they're going to find themselves running the middle of the track. Maybe they'll find themselves running the bottom. So it'll be interesting to see. We're definitely going to need to see practice um, first to see how this how this all goes about. First practice will be later this afternoon. Um, and, and once we get uh, cars on the track, we might see we might start getting an idea of of where these teams are going to be finding time on the track. Absolutely. We're talking with Tyson Lutzeiger of OnPitRoad.com. Always a pleasure to have him on talking IndyCar and uh, NASCAR. Uh, you know, final thought here. We're going to get into this later in the show when we get into the NBA talk. But, you know, uh, uh, Robin, uh, Robin Miller with the Racer Magazine. I'm sure you're very familiar with him. He's been around for a long time. He lives here in Indianapolis. But uh, I, I know him, so I kind of trust what he, what he writes about. But one of the stories that he put on Racer Magazine this week was the 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 – Pay comparison with IndyCar drivers to any other sport out there, especially uh, talking in the light of LeBron James and his. Uh, I, I'm not going to argue he's a great basketball player. We can have that conversation on a different uh, segment, if you will. If he's the greatest basketball player of all time, maybe he's worth the money. But at the end of the day, he gets a $153 million contract uh, to to go to the LA Lakers. When we look at the IndyCar drivers, and now. A lot of this stuff is, is, is public knowledge with other sports. IndyCar pretty much holds their uh, contracts and the information about their pay, what they're paying the drivers pretty close to their vest. But I, I do know Robin Miller, and I know he has a lot of sources. So I think that, he's, that his sources are pretty dead on. So when we look at F1, $40 million to Lewis Hamilton. NASCAR, Kevin Harvick, 4 to $6 million. And then we look at IndyCar, one of the highest paid Drivers in IndyCar, Scott Dixon, 2.5 to 3 million, uh, followed up by Ryan Hunter Ray, 2 million. Will Power, believe it or not, 1.5 million. And Graham Rahal, 1.5 million. And uh, around the $1 million mark is uh, uh, New Garden, Patajan, Hinchcliffe, uh, uh, TK, Sonoda, uh, Tomoko. 
uh, and Marco Andretti. I, I mentioned a few Indy 500 winners in there. Okay, so if you're if you're gauging your yeah yeah exactly. So if you're if you're gauging your paycheck on your worth as an athlete based on championship, IndyCar drivers should be getting paid a lot more. Now I know we get into the talk of sponsorships and that's where the money comes from and this and that. Uh, Let's make no bones about it that the IndyCar owners are making a lot of money. Now I, I, I realize there's a lot that goes into a race team, but I'm just wondering. Why is it that IndyCar, by far one of the most popular race series, it's getting more and more popular, uh, it certainly has the, the greatest race in the world, the Indianapolis 500. We know IndyCar is getting paid from uh, broadcast outlets. We know they're getting TV and radio contracts. Uh, we know that the tracks are paying them. So we know that IndyCar has money, uh, and I know that IndyCar spreads that wealth down to the team owners as well. Do you think there's going to come a time uh, where – and see, drivers, a lot of times, they kind of do their own negotiations. They get money. They have relationships with, a, with maybe a, a Honda or a, a certain sponsor. They bring that money to the table. So they, a lot of times, they're doing their own negotiations. They don't really have a full-time agent, if you will. But when you look in comparison to Kevin Harvick at $4.6 million, Kyle Busch uh, around that same mark, Kyle Larson, uh, $2 million, Martin Truex Jr., $2 million, and Kurt Busch, $2 million. Again, Kyle Larson, I don't know that he's worth $2.3 million. Maybe he is. Uh, and then, of, of course, we talk about the F1 guys, uh, uh, Fernando Alonso at $25 million. So talk with us a little bit about that pay contrast. Do you think we're going to get to a time where IndyCar drivers say, hey, it's time for me to get paid? And I think that's going to hurt the sport in a lot of ways. I don't think so, and I think um... – I think we've seen, you know, it's a lot because IndyCar in the motorsports world is really thought of, you know, as in third place. You have F1, which in the world is the biggest racing series. So it kind of makes sense that their drivers are being paid the most, even though, you know, you look at that series and it's really, it is kind of ironic because it is a series that's not really about the drivers as much as it is about technology and engineering. Uh, those drivers could not be performing even near those elite levels without um, without their engineers, which, yeah, you can say it about any racing series, but Formula One even more so, I think. Um, NASCAR is kind of second on the pedestal, and, and it does make sense that their drivers are being paid more than IndyCar drivers. Um, I found it interesting you mentioned uh, Martin Truex at, at being paid about Two million or so by Furnisher Row. He yep. he took a pay cut uh, to join that team, um, and and is now a champion. So I, I'd be curious to see if his um, if his pay goes up in the future. And as for IndyCar drivers, I mean, it is very interesting, you know, that their pay is low, but it's it's not all that surprising. Although I have to say, I think you know people like LeBron James, and he is like one of the best basketball players in the world being, I mean, $154 million contract over what four years is ludicrous. Really? It, that's, that's the, that's being overpaid. And even look the other day, uh, you know, bringing hockey into this Toronto Maple Leafs, they signed John Tavares to a seven year contract. That's worth $77 million. And John Tavares was somebody that the Leafs have been trying to get for several, several um, seasons. And, 
He was a free agent that six different teams were trying to pick up. But I, I he's really, really good, but I don't know if he's worth $77 million. I don't think there are many people in this world worth that much money. I think we're kind of at that point where athletes, no matter how important we think they are, they're definitely overpaid. I think what NASCAR drivers are making is maybe – I think they're probably making about what they should be. I think IndyCar drivers are maybe making about what they should be, even though all, you know, all these guys are really kind of risking their lives when you think about it on any given weekend. But I think $2 million sounds about right. $4 million for or 4.6 for a guy like Kevin Harvick sounds about right. I think we're just, in, you know, at that point where athletes all around for the most part are extremely overpriced. Well, I think it's about time that radio guys and media guys get paid, too. Tyson Lotsteiger of OnPitRoad.com joins us uh, talking IndyCar, uh, the Iowa Corn 300 uh, up in Newton, Iowa. Uh, we got a, uh, You can stick around and uh, talk NASCAR with us if you want, but we're going to shift gears. Do you want to stick around or you got to go? Yeah, I'll stick around for a bit. Okay, uh, fantastic. Uh, my name is Tom Mark, Marcel Presidente, myself and Steve Wilson from Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, uh, back with us after a, a hiatus, if you will, uh, uh, talking NASCAR down in Daytona this weekend. Boys and girls, my name is Tom Mark, Marcel Presidente. We'll be right back on the Balance Radio Network. National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. 
Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about All right, and welcome back to the balance half hour in the book. Uh, thanks to Tyson Lautenschlager uh, for uh, joining us and talking IndyCar with us. We merge into uh, the NASCAR uh, segment and joining us uh, from the Commonwealth of Virginia is uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, and hanging around with us to talk some NASCAR, uh, Tyson Lautenschlager from OnPitRoad.com. We'll go to you first, Steve. First of all, welcome back. How was the vacation with the family down there in Florida and, and, and all of that good stuff? Well, I think I walked about 27 miles down there. Got a little sun. Did you break your Fitbit? And my feet hurt. I said, did you break your Fitbit? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no. no, I broke my Fitbit a long time ago. I didn't even try and replace it. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad you're back with us. You know, let's talk a little bit about that race last weekend, uh, Chicago. Uh, what a finish it was, Kyle. Uh, I mean, yeah, Kyle and I. No, uh, Tyson and I talked a little bit about it at the beginning of the show. Fantastic into the race. Uh, Kyle Larson trying to get a win. He did get a win yesterday. We'll get into that in a moment. But fantastic win. Racing was racing. Uh, a little. Uh, buzz on social media, depending on what side of the fence you were on, thought that was a little too aggressive at the end, uh, but certainly a fantastic finish, and as I, I texted you when it was over, I don't think we've ever seen a finish like that in a long, long time, so talk with us about, uh, you know, wrap up the, the Chicago race, and wow, what a finish it was. Yeah, there's a lot of people that at the end of that race and I think it more had to do with who won the race more than it had to do with the move of the race. Uh, you know, with Kyle Busch coming out there, and, um, you know, those two were going at one another pretty aggressively over the last uh, half to three-quarter of a lap out there. 
You know, Kyle Larson did try to go out there on the outside, got into the wall. Kyle Busch got into him. You know, they were getting into one another door-to-door, banging back and forth. Uh, You know, this honestly isn't anything new in NASCAR. This is something that we've seen over, you know, 30, 40, 50 years in the sport. I think a lot of it just has to do with who it is. You know, back in the day, you know, Dale Earnhardt Sr. uh, could go and rough people up in the same fashion and uh, take the checker flag or, you know, even finish second or third and everybody, you know, was on his side. But, you know, we take a look, famous event that happened between Dale Sr. and uh, Ricky Rudd many years ago back in the 80s uh, where Rudd and him got together. Rudd uh, put him into the wall and, uh, you know, everybody criticized Rudd for basically doing the same thing that Dale Earnhardt Sr. had been doing for many years prior to that. So I think it just all comes down to who it is sometimes. It's not necessarily what they do. It's who who does it. And with Kyle Busch in the sport, he, he's that person that, you know, he he's won every single – at every single race, he's got hundreds of series wins across uh, the NASCAR spectrum. And it, it just comes down to the, what I just feel is, is that it was him. It didn't have anything to do with what they did. Carl Larson at the end of the race did go over to him, shook hands with him in victory lane, said that was a fun race. Uh, from my perspective, I, I think it was a fun race. I think overall that those two banging back and forth, I'd like to see more of it in the sport like that because it's really something that we've uh, lost in the sport over the last 10 to 15 years. Well, certainly want to get into last night's Xfinity race. Well, we thought we were going to run into some rain. It uh, didn't happen. Uh, Ty, uh, well, I think it did happen toward the end. Uh, my apologies. But uh, uh, Tyson, any final thoughts on Chicago? And uh, we're going to get into Xfinity uh, down at Daytona. Yeah, just with Chicago, I'm just, you know, as we were talking about before, I'm just really glad that we, we got to see a mile-and-a-half race play out. And, I mean, I, I didn't get to watch it. And I really regret that I didn't like DVR it or something, but we got to see a, a Chicago land race, a 1.5 Fam- mile race play Fam- out and actually be excited. Family, family, I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, family time, family time is highly overrated. No, go ahead. <laughs> it really is. It really is. No, but we saw a 1.5 mile race play out and actually, you know, be exciting for the fans. And that's something we haven't seen in a long time. So I'm just happy that, that that ha- that that happened, and hopefully we can get a couple more of those races as the season goes on. Uh, Tyson, uh, we had uh, Kyle Larson uh, get a, a victory in the Xfinity race. He hasn't gotten a, a victory in the in the uh, Monster Energy race uh, this this year. Elliot Seller, uh, Bell Blaney, and uh, Grala, I guess that's how you say his last name, uh, round out the top five in last night's Xfinity race. What are your thoughts? It was a, a really, really crazy race towards the end last night. I mean, we saw um, the first two stages, for the most part, were fairly tame. It, it got a little bit um, exciting at the end of the second stage just because it seemed like there was lightning in the area. And, you know, if if that were to happen and we got more rain, probably would have been the end of the race. Didn't happen. Thankfully, we got to see an exciting finish play out. Um, I think there are going to be a lot of and probably are still already a lot of hurt feelings over the fact that Justin Haley crossed the finish line first, but he, he went below the, the double yellow line, which is in um, NASCAR's rule book and infraction. So they, um, they stripped him of the win, which in my opinion uh, was the right call based on what the rule calls for. You can't go below the double yellow line to advance your position. NASCAR deemed that he did. 
and Kyle Larson got the win. And I understand why everybody, um, you know, is, is disappointed about that because, you know, we almost saw a first-time winner, um, a young guy in the series. The Xfinity series is said to be, you know, the series where names are made here. And, you know, Justin Haley almost made his name winning a race, and Kyle Larson, a cup driver, ended up getting the win instead. So I understand why people are upset. But um, to be honest, I think it was the right call from NASCAR. At the end of the day, we saw a really exciting finish where a lot of uh, a lot of drivers who we don't normally see getting good results got them. Kaz Grala got a top five with Fury Race Cars there. Kind of Cinderella story continues there. Shane Lee got his first top 10 for Richard Childress. Timmy Hill did uh, a pretty amazing job getting a top 10 finish, driving one of Carl Long's cars. That was Carl Long's first top 10 as a team owner. Uh, Timmy Hill's first top 10 since 2012. Uh, and that's a, a really cool thing for that team. Ross Chastain got a top 10. All in all, um, definitely a controversial finish the one that people are going to be talking about for quite a while, and it could come into play again tonight for all we know. Yeah, that's a perfect, that's a perfect segue. Uh, thank you, uh, Tyson, for that, because it was exactly uh, what I was going to go to with uh, uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, Steve, I wanted to make sure that you had time to chime in on this, because I'm going to tell you what, social media went crazy last night when that win was given to uh, Kyle Larson. The rules are the rules. I kind of agree with Tyson, but it looks like this is more of a judgment call. I don't know just by looking at it that that was a clear definitive crossing of the line. Maybe you, you, you know a little bit better than I do, uh, Steve, but basically uh, a lot of unhappy fans and, and more so unhappy again. We've got a cup driver in the Xfinity race that's not supposed to be there. A lot of people don't think that uh, cup drivers should be driving in the Xfinity race. Go ahead, Steve. Well, the rule, as it plainly states out, is the first line of it is that you must race above the double yellow line the entire way around the track. The second and third line basically says that NASCAR's judgment, if you race below the yellow line and advance your position, that you're uh, you're going to be penalized for that. The 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 ending statement of this is that if somebody forces you below the yellow line, then they're the ones that will be penalized for that. Um, what we saw last night was Justin Haley that had a, a line, line and a half between him and Elliot Sadler and the line. And there was really no reason for him to needing to go below that yellow line. That's kind of a rookie mistake, to be honest with you. But the rule was pretty clear. Not only did he, you know, at some point advance his position, but he did not race above the double yellow line the entire distance of the racetrack. And he was not forced down there by either Elias Haller that was in the middle groove or Kyle Larson on the high groove. Uh, he had plenty of room down there to make that without going below the yellow line or even touching the yellow line. And therefore, NASCAR made the made the call to strip him of that win. He finished 18th last night. Uh, and the difference between uh, Carl, Carl Larson and Elliott Sadler was um, five, uh, five ten-thousandths of a second. Um, not five-thousandths of a second. Sorry about that. Uh, 
you know, it, it's just something that you, these drivers are told each and every race in the driver's meeting. They were reminded several times throughout the night not only to lock bumpers to make sure that they were not going below that double yellow line. And Justin and the team will have to chalk this up as a rookie mistake. These mistakes happen, and we're going to see them plenty of times. Uh, But, you know, he'll learn from this, he'll come back from this, and he'll know that when he comes back to either Daytona or Talladega that those are out of bounds, they're they're not part of the uh, racing surface that they can he can either advance his position or use to drive around these uh, play tracks like this going forward. Um, I think a lot of these teams are upset, and a lot of the fans are upset. Sure, and it's justifiable to some degree. Um, but you know, uh, Brad Keselowski sounded off on it last night. Denny Hamlin sounded off on it last night. Dozens of crew members and media members across the spectrum sounded off on this. But I just think going forward, this is just a rookie mistake that he's going to have to, you know, learn from going to his next race, either at Talladega or Daytona. Well, it was a costly mistake. Uh, and, you know, I guess, you know, the, the team will group together and, and uh, talk with their spotters and talk with their crew chiefs. Uh, maybe there's some responsibility on them as far as, hey, uh, you know, but once he crosses it, he crosses it. So I guess, you know, uh, the only thing they could have said is, hey, you're getting a little close to that line. I don't know. Maybe that was said. We don't know. we gotta we got to move on. It's exciting. No, we're in Daytona tonight, night race. And one of the most exciting things, guys, is the Hooters car is on the pole at Daytona. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll start with you, uh, Tyson. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about Chase Elliott getting the pole and setting a great pace for the Daytona tonight. I keep wanting to say Daytona 500. I don't know why, but go ahead, Tyson. Well, to be honest, um, I mean, Chase Elliott's on the pole, but, but this is Daytona. Um, qualifying really at a track like Daytona, you know, the crew chief sets the car up, driver just holds the throttle and, and holds the wheel straight. So, I mean, I, I don't think there's much to celebrate in Chase Elliott winning the pole, especially considering he won the pole by about two and a half tenths over his teammate, which to me really does mean it, it was all in the crew chief. And Alan Gustafson obviously did a pretty incredible job setting that car up. What's going to be uh, big is if Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, especially after the year the Chevys have had and the year that Hendrick Motorsports has had, if they can keep their cars up front throughout the night, if one of them can come away with a victory, that would be huge for Chevrolet, be huge for Hendrick Motorsports, which, you know, we're halfway through the season or just about um, at the end of this race, we'll be halfway through the year. Hendrick Motorsports still doesn't have a win this year. Chevy only has one win with Austin Dillon. A win would be huge for this team. So if they can stay up front, Jimmy Johnson's up there too. He qualified for, he's had a lot of, uh, poor luck recently at these play tracks, but if these drivers can stay up front and have a good night, uh, that's going to be huge for them. The other thing I'll be keeping my eye on is uh, Ford, uh, because Ford seems to be, throughout the last um, at least two years, they seem to be the dominant force on these restrictor plate tracks, usually more so at Talladega, but at Daytona as well. We saw Ricky Stenhouse win uh, this race last year. He's starting up front. Uh, We have you know, the three Penske cars starting in the top 12. 
so there's definitely going to be a lot to keep our eye on, and maybe we'll see someone other than the big four, uh, Clint Boyer, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex, come away with the win tonight. We're talking with uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, calling us from down in Virginia, and uh, Tyson Lonsugger from OnPetRoad.com, carrying over from the IndyCar segment, calling us from the great country of Canada. Uh, Steve, we'll start with with you. Let's break down tonight's race. It's going to be fun. It's underneath the lights. Uh, I I don't think they're going to have a weather issue today. Uh, So uh, break down what the teams have to do to get ready for Daytona and uh, talk with us a little bit about what the crew chiefs are doing to get their teams ready for Daytona and what talk with us a little bit. We all know how special Daytona is, but talk with us a little bit about the challenges that Daytona brings to NASCAR. Well, just on the Chase Elliott front, just real quick, this is his third pole there at Daytona, and he's wrecked out several times um, in, in his career coming there. So his chances of going from the win tonight from the pole are, you know, uh, are greatly diminished in that fact. As far as the teams getting ready down there, I mean, there's nothing they can really do when it comes to Daytona. Sure, you can set these cars up for flat-out speed, but in many cases, you're going to get knocked out of these events by no fault of your own, and there's nothing that they they can do to work on these cars or do anything different. To, to try and get you out. I'm sure there's strategy that will be played tonight at the beginning of the race. There'll probably be some drivers who are going to drop to the back on the pace laps. There's going to be some drivers that will drop to the back at the end of some of these stages. We've seen Martin Truex do that in the past. They're trying to avoid those big wrecks that are naturally occurring at the end of these stages now than at random points in the race or at the ending part. But when it gets down to the end of it, the last 10 to 12 laps, uh, and especially once you start getting down to those handful of laps, uh, you, the business is going to start picking up. We're going to see the same thing that we've seen over and over and over again. We saw this yesterday where at the end of the race, at the end of the stages, that this is where wrecks start to occur. Back in February in the Xfinity Series race, they went to multiple overtimes because each and every lap that they made, it, it, caused, an, it caused an issue and caused a caution. Tonight is not going to be any different. No matter where you are in the field, you could be subjected to somebody else's fault. And like I said, lots of times this is this is out of your control. You have to hold the steering wheel straight, put your foot on the gas, try and drive through as many of these as you can. The DVT policy where it only gives them six minutes now to work on these cars and not a lot of time. They can't replace body parts. Um, so, you know, we're going to see some retirements out of the race uh, due to these wrecks and due to these crashes. I think last night we had something like 15, 17, uh, I'm sorry, about 18, 18 cars. There was about 18 cars running because Justin Haley finished 18th at the end of that race. Um, so that that kind of shows you where the path lies tonight or any Daytona plate, restricted plate racing. Um 
they, they, honestly, there's nothing these guys can do, the teams or anybody. Um, it's just going to be flat-out sheer racing tonight. Gauging the race is going to occur all the first stage, but then we're going to start business picking up very, very quickly after that. And then this is where we start getting into these multi-car accidents. Um, you know, last night we we saw Austin-centric barrel roll from the high groove all the way down to the bottom of the track. And, you know, that's just a testament into how these cars are built and how we'll see tonight a lot of these cars either flip, get on a roof, be in the fence. It, all kinds of craziness will ensue at these races. Absolutely, and valid point, and we got to uh, kind of uh, uh, wrap it up here, put a bow on it, but uh, Tyson, uh, Steve makes a very good point. Uh, there's going to be mayhem, and uh, that's that's just Daytona. Uh, so uh, thoughts on the mayhem of Daytona? Uh, we saw it last night. We're going to see it tonight. What are your thoughts, Tyson? Yeah, I think mayhem is probably right, especially, you know, as Steve was saying before, once we get down to the end of these stages, and particularly the end of the race. I mean, last night with the Xfinity race, we didn't see the calamity kind of at the end of the stages. And I think that was because a lot of the guys that were leading at the end of stage one and stage two, you had Kyle Larson win both stages. And the guys that were running, you know, second and third for most of the night were Ryan Blaney and Chase Elliott. They're not here to do anything but win the race. They don't need stage points. So they were kind of controlling the pack, and therefore we didn't see a lot of the wrecks. At least that's how I uh, saw it. But then when we got down to the end of the race, you know, everybody's going for one thing. They're not really thinking about stage points anymore. They're not thinking about points at all. They're thinking about winning the race, whether they're a cup guy, an extremity guy, or a truck guy like Justin Haley was. They just want to win the race. So we saw as as things were winding to, to a conclusion and we got to about less than 20 to go, things started picking up. The intensity was getting crazy, and we saw wrecks start to happen. I think we can see kind of uh, the opposite sort of thing happen tonight, where, you know, it's a cup race. All these drivers are cup drivers. And uh, with the way that the the season has gone so far, where we've only got uh, five or six different winners, um, Stage points are very important because you have guys that are, you know, 16th, 17th, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., uh, Paul Menard, you know, those guys at the back half of the top 16 and 17 that are going to be trying to earn as many stage points as they can so they can get into that top 16 or secure their spot. Uh, And then obviously going for the win at the end. So I think we could see a, a, a number of wrecks tonight at the end of the stages. And going forward into the final stage, we always see... Uh, even more as the intensity picks up because people are trying to win the race. So definitely we could be in for a uh, anxious race tonight um, by by these drivers, but it should be exciting for the fans and, and just hopefully um, we see all four wheels stay on the ground. We didn't have that last night. Austin Sindrick flipped, uh, did a couple barrel rolls. Hopefully everybody stays on the ground tonight and stays safe. Absolutely. Well, guys, that's gonna we'll have to put a wrap on it. Uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, giving us a call, uh, and uh, he's uh, editor in chief of Speedway Digest. Uh, Steve, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? You can follow us at Speedway Digest on Twitter, Facebook.com/slash Speedway Digest, and SpeedwayDigest.com. 
All right, Steve, let's go racing. Let's have a good race today. You have yourself a good weekend, sir. Thank you. You (laughs) too. Take care, guys. Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Tyson Lautenschlager, uh, where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Whoops. Well, we lost him. <laughs> we did that last week, too. I apologize, Tyson. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. We'll be right back. Myself and Rick Riggin. We're going to be talking some college football. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like... Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal art. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. The party. All right, and welcome back to the balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. One hour in the books. Thanks to Tyson Lautenschlager of OnPitRoad.com. Uh, breaking down the uh, uh, the the Iowa Corn 300 and IndyCar, and of course a uh, lot of action and mayhem in Daytona last night. The win uh, stripped away from a rookie and given to a Cup driver at Xfinity, and we talked with. Uh, um, uh, Steve Wilson, our official NASCAR contributor, and Tyson Lonsliger as, as well. Steve Wilson of Speedway Digest. But now, the most important part of the show. Joining me now is executive producer of the Balance, Rick Reagan. How are you, sir? Yeah. Hey, pretty good. I'm not know if I, I don't know if I'm the most important, but I'm definitely top five somewhere. 
You're you're the top two anyway. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, you had your big uh, Fourth of July party. I, I heard you were a cripple for a few days. Well, hopefully you've bounced back from that. Uh, yeah, I think I was just being on my feet like the entire day. I think I really just sat down for the fireworks display that we had. So that took about 45 minutes to an hour. That's all I sat down all day. And I woke up, you know, that Sunday, you know, last Sunday morning, my left calf was swollen like one half the size, you know, of its original size. So, uh, you know, it took about two days to recover from that. Uh, but the party went great. You know, a cheap plug for these two fine companies. There's a lot of fireball yingling drinks. So, uh, it was great times, and, you know, that's what the uh, 4th of July is for, family, friends, uh, you know, some uh, adult beverages, you know, it's America. That's right. America, baby, America. Also, it's America because <laughs> we're getting ready to get into the to the college football talk. I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the teams to watch, uh, some of the things to look at for 2018, but we cannot start off college football talk without talking about Notre Dame. Go ahead, Mr. Notre Dame aficionado, sir. Well, all right. Well, I will start this off by saying uh, probably uh, unbeknownst to you that uh, the balance did run a Twitter poll yesterday, which is better, college football or the NFL. And I think this uh, Twitter poll might have been un- unbeknown to uh, uh, everybody else because it's only got six votes of our, you know, six more listeners has uh, voted on this. But right now it's 100% college football. I, I figure if like, everybody in the country voted on this, it probably wouldn't be a different result because college football is better than the NFL. Tom. Well, I, I don't I don't know how I missed that, but you know a lot of I I get so 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 busy, you know I'm out there uh, signing autographs and making appearances. No, I'm just kidding. Right. I, you should have texted me. You should have texted me and told me it was up there, and I would have promoted it through our other channels as well. Uh, well, but, it's still uh, there. It's still I, got time. It's probably still got ten, twelve hours left. Well, so definitely, if you're listening, uh, get on the balance Twitter, check out the poll, vote uh, vote on it, retweet it. Help us out, but Absolutely. I think I'm right. I, I, th- I, I think the uh, the question, you know, it's an age-old question now, like LeBron versus Jordan is college football versus the NFL. I, I think the, I think it's always been college football, but these days with these problems the NFL has uh, with, you know, how they suspend people, you know, two games for beating the hell out of your wife and three games for sexual assault, but four games, you know, if nature, it takes a little bit of air out of the football due to natural causes like cold weather. You know, so it's things like that in the national anthem. Uh, I think college football just it was better anyway, but now with the, all the struggles the NFL has, uh, it's not even close now. So, uh, what are your thoughts on Notre Dame going into the 2018 season? I think we're going to see more of the same uh, of last year. Uh, yeah, I'm a big Irish fan, so any Irish fans listening, definitely call in. Uh, Maybe you can agree or disagree with me, but it's going to be more of the same. I'm thinking around 10 wins. Uh, they're they're going to flirt with the playoffs. They probably could be a playoff team. Uh, I think they have a favorable schedule this year, even though we start with Michigan. Uh, but that's a home game. We get USC with no Sam Bradford. Uh, I think one of our toughest, probably our toughest game is going to be at Virginia Tech. But I'm thinking 10 wins. You know how the Irish uh, have – the Irish have always been or Brian Kelly time. It seems like every year they're in the playoff contention. They're in playoff talk. They're even in like the first or two playoff polls when that comes out week eight, week nine. And then they end up losing a game or two that they shouldn't even lose. No business losing. Or they win but look terrible winning and they get knocked out. 
that's how I think this Irish team this year is going to be. Uh, the return of nine starters on offense, five on defense. Uh, you think that uh, they're still going to have one of the best lines in the country, even though losing Quentin Nelson and Michael Glinchy to the NFL draft. Well, they got another offensive lineman. It's going to be a uh, first-round draft pick also, Sam Muster. Uh, the running game is probably going to be a little better, even though Josh Adams is gone. Uh, he, he was awesome last year, but with Dexter Williams, uh, probably get majority of the carries this year. He's going to be one of the fastest running backs in the country. Uh, great offensive line. I don't think you'll see a slowdown on offense. They'll be great on offense. Defense is, uh, what did I say, nine, nine starters, nine returning starters on defense and five on offense. That's what I, that's, that's, I think I just had that flip a little bit ago. Defense is going to be still great. I, I know that uh, Mike Elko left for Texas A&M, and that, that kind of hurt us Irish fans. He's only there one year. Uh, we were top 20 in almost every defensive category with him. But he brought his minion with him uh, from Blake Forest. That's Clark Lee, who's now a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Same exact defense scheme, same intensity. You're going to see a lot of the, uh, the same on defense as last year, maybe even better. I'm out of talking with Rick Rickard. Hold on. Uh, talking with Rick Regan, our executive uh, producer, uh, talking college football. We're obviously going to be talking a lot of Notre Dame uh, throughout the season. Obviously, we have an entire segment dedicated to college football once things get up and going. But uh, the uh, power rankings are out, so let's kind of go through these. As far as conference, the 2018 power ranking conferences are out. Uh, so we'll start with the no-brainer. Uh, the SEC is the number one uh, facing off uh, some really some uh, – stiff competition because coming up number two in a minute we'll talk about it here in a second is the big 10 and we live in big 10 country i'm a big 10 guy myself so we'll get into a lot about the big 10 10 but certainly it's uh, they're the number one conference because they got alabama georgia and auburn all are in great shape for the immediate future anyway uh so talk with us a little bit about the sec of course you've got lsu florida tennessee and texas a&m uh have to uh getting to a point where they're going to start hitting their potential as well. So the SEC is a strong power conference going into 2018, Rick. I would actually agree with that this year. The last two years, I'll probably rank them as the third best conference, even though everybody always wants to rank them number one because of Alabama. But top to bottom, the SEC really isn't that great of a conference. Uh, So this year, it's a little different with with Georgia and Jake Fromm and and, uh, Keith Smart, or Keith Smart, that's the dude from IU. <laughs> 76 <laughs> championship team. <laughs> Coach Clark from, uh, I can't uh, think of his first name now. <laughs> uh, well, hey, way to get IU into the conversation. Kirby, I first yeah, it, yeah, I got an IU into this college football thing. So, uh, Kirby Smart. My bad, everybody. Kirby Smart. Uh, and Jake Fromm, you know, they, they did lose uh, Sony Michelle and uh, Nick Chubb to the NFL draft. But they're still going to be a pretty solid team. Uh, Florida bringing in Dan Mullen, that, that's going to be tough. Also, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, that was Alabama's defensive coordinator, taking over at Tennessee. Uh, there's a lot of coaching changes in the SEC, but uh, just having uh, Alabama and Georgia 1-2, I mean, there's a national championship game last year. That could be the exact same way again this year. Uh, you have two of your conference teams in the national championship game. That speaks a lot for a conference. Or it's really not, not much of an argument of uh, what conference is better than the next, you know, because 
your top two made a national title game against each other, so that might be the way it is again this year. Absolutely, and so certainly, as you mentioned, everybody likes Alabama and the SEC. That's uh, the reason why they are always number one, and Alabama's always going to be Alabama, and we're going to be talking a lot about Roadside, I'm sure, uh, much to our disgrin, the grin, if you will. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the number two in the power conference, and that's the Big Ten. Uh, go Big Ten. Uh, the Big Ten East has been replaced has replaced the SEC West as the most challenging division in college football. Over the last three seasons, the East has played seven teams, Ohio State three times, Penn State twice, Michigan, and Michigan State once in the final AP Top Ten. In in the same span, uh, the five SEC uh, West teams, Alabama three times, Auburn, and and Ole Miss once uh, finished in the Top Ten. Wisconsin uh, retains its spot as the top team in the West, but Nebraska, with Scott Frost running the show, will emerge as an annual contender uh, in the very near future. Iowa, obviously, as usual, we've got our fingers crossed for – IU, uh, Purdue, and Minnesota uh, are on the uptick <laughs> as, as well with, with bright young coaches. But obviously, uh, with the Big Ten, uh, we've got the Ohio State Buckeyes, which is what everybody loves. And again, let's, let's face it, Ohio State is a big reason why uh, they're in the number two in the power conferences. The Big Ten, Rick, what say you? All right, well, before I jump on the Big Ten here, I just want to throw out a little FF fun fact because he's talked about the SEC, and this is about Alabama. Uh, I don't know if Nick Saban was sick over the, over the winter, over the off season, uh, what happened to him. Maybe he wasn't on the recruiting trail. But this is the first time uh, that I can remember, maybe maybe his first season at Alabama, that uh, he did not have a top five recruiting class coming in for next year. So I'm not sure what that means. Uh, I, I don't know the story on that. Maybe uh, Kirby Smart up at up at Georgia stealing some recruits. You know. Plus, uh, other regional schools like Florida, Miami is, you know, all of a sudden really good. Uh, Texas there with, uh, oh, what's his name, a head coach anyway. He <laughs> but maybe uh, he's got some schools around him there that uh, uh still some of the recruits. They didn't have a top five class this year. So I, I just thought that's interesting and, you know, kind of a little fun fact to throw out there. Nick Saban to the NFL. That's what's going on. We're starting that rumor. <laughs> uh, yeah, start that's always been a rumor for the past five years. I just think, uh, <laughs> I, I just think maybe he's got another ten, eight to ten years there at there at, at, at Alabama, and he's going to be a, probably retiring. I don't think he's going back to the NFL. There's no reason for him to. I mean, he's no, probably making more money at Bama than what NFL. Yeah, any NFL team could pay him. So, and he's, you know, he's probably past Bear Bryant on the list of uh, legendary coaches as it is now. So I, I, I don't know why you want to tarnish any of that reputation by going back to the NFL and only winning two or three games and not even completing a full season like you did at Miami. But <laughs> Absolutely. Well, getting back on track, the Big Ten, uh, what say you say? Oh, uh, yeah, what are we talking about? Big Ten. Squirrel! <laughs> Elephant. You know, I, I, I would say I would say that division of the Big Ten is probably the toughest division in the country for college football, uh, with Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Penn State, all on that same side. I mean that, that that's ridiculous. And I would always thought that the Big Ten, you know, that Ohio State and Michigan game at the very end of the season should count for something, uh, you know, because they tried that before with the legends and called legends. One was called leaders, and they had. Michigan and Ohio State 
in both of those divisions. They were separated. Now putting them in in, in the same division, uh, I'm not sure if that's real helpful. Uh, I guess geographically that's what they're trying to do, uh, try to line up all these teams as, as geographically as best they can because the Big Ten kind of like all over the place if you look on the map, you know, because Rutgers is over in New Jersey, you know, but they're a Big Ten team, and you got Maryland the same way, far east coast. Then you go all the way out to Nebraska. You know, the Big Ten has a big reach. So maybe ge- ge- geographically that's how they broke down these new divisions. But uh, I think it kind of hurts the Big Ten putting Ohio State and Michigan in the same division. I mean, Tom, I don't know what you think, if if it makes a difference. But I always like the way uh, the leaders, the leaders and legends divisions, like had it separated. They had the Ohio, they had Ohio State and Michigan mm-hmm. separated. What do you think? No, I absolutely agree with you. I think it needs to be separated like that. And, I, and I, I'm not sure why and how they they put the divisions together inside the Big Ten. Uh, but you're, you're you're absolutely right. I agree with that. That's the way that, that it should be. Moving on to number three in the power ranking conferences are uh, uh, is the ACC. Obviously, everybody loves Clemson and uh, Clemson. Um, well, uh, I'm sure it will be uh, consistent that everybody will think that Clemson will win the ACC. Uh, I mean, you got teams like Miami and Virginia Tech are, are both on the uptick, I guess, if you, if you look at it that way. And, of course, you know, you look at uh, uh, Florida State, uh, I'm sure it will bounce back as well, and we'll be having some conversations about that. But I think overall what makes AC, uh, the ACC number three, obviously, is Clemson. Yeah, it, it... Actually, the ACC for me the past couple of years, maybe in the past three years, was the best division in college football because, you know, Clemson had Deshaun Watson, and then when Jimbo Fisher still had it going on at Florida State, uh, always a tough team. You had Lamar Jackson at Louisville the past two years, you know, you winning the Heisman and then still having a great season uh, last year. Uh, that was three tough teams. And then uh, Miami's been on the uptick. Uh, NC State. That's been crazy good the past two years with uh, Nick Chubb's uh, cousin, something like that, Bradley Chubb on mm-hmm. defense. You know, I know we talked about him and the Colts maybe trying to draft him in the draft. But uh, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a lot of great players, a lot of great teams the, the past two or three years. Uh, we'll see how it plays out this year because uh, they, they still might be a better conference than the Big Ten. Uh, just how great uh, Miami Miami's going to be, Miami's going to be a probably a playoff team this year. I mean they are looking that that good last year. I don't think they lost too much. At, if Miami gets in, this is one of these conversations you always got to have when the season's just over, so you have time to look back at the body of work of like every conference and what they did during the year. But if Miami gets in, that's going to put the ACC a bit ahead of the Big Ten. Well. <laughs> We need the Big Ten to stay at number two, so we're just gonna we're just gonna keep it going like that. No, uh, so, mo- moving on to number four, the Big Twelve. I mean, fun teams to watch. I think we all like. That's part of our Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon. I'm sorry. Uh, we'll watch the Big Twelve. Uh, I mean, uh, the the ESPN big uh, uh, pregame thing is usually at one of the is at least one of the big uh, Big Twelve schools. Oklahoma, though, obviously is the reason why the Big 12 is the Big 12 and number four. Uh, I don't know that they have any true national championship contenders in 2018. Uh, but I don't know that 
any league has more parity. I mean, Oklahoma is the easy pick for the number one. Again, despite suffering, they had some key personnel losses. Texas gets the nod at number two thanks to a solid quarterback play uh, that should be the league's best defense, uh, Pencil in uh, Kansas at number 10. Other than that, it's wide open, especially with teams uh, three through seven. Um, and you got West Virginia, TCU, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, and Kansas uh, State uh, – would probably be that predicted order, uh, but you can make the argument for any of those teams uh, to finish third. But Oklahoma would would win the uh, the Big Twelve, but I don't know that it's strong enough to do to do any damage in the national championship scene. Uh, it all depends on the quarterback from Oklahoma. Uh, I can't think of his name right top of my head. You know, if I had some show notes, I knew I knew we we talked about doing college football, just didn't know in what manner, so I didn't really prepare much. But, uh, you know, the quarterback for Oklahoma just signed a uh, $5 million. (laughs) The the quarterback for uh, Oklahoma's quarterback, actually, just signed a $5 million, like, deal to play minor league baseball at the Oakland Athletics. And I don't know how that hurts the uh, football eligibility, but if he's able to play, uh, he's actually better than Baker Mayfield. So I don't know why – you know, Baker got the start the last two or three years because that's just that's just how things work at Oklahoma. But uh, this this kid is actually a better thrower, better all around athlete than than Baker Mayfield. So if if he starts at quarterback, uh, watch out for Oklahoma. I mean, they're going to be there uh, once again. And then uh, yeah, Coach Herman, that's who I couldn't think of his name earlier for Texas. It's really Oklahoma, Texas, and the Big Twelve. Uh, Texas is just not there quite yet. I mean, they need one more year. This ain't the year. Next year, we'll be talking about Texas. Uh, but as far as uh, Oklahoma goes, if that kid is able to play at quarterback this year, uh, even though he's signed with the Oakland Athletics, uh, look out for Oklahoma. They're going to be making some noise once again. Well, we look at uh, the number five uh, slot, if you will, in the Power Conference of the 2018, the Pac-12. Obviously, that houses UCLA. Uh, big news came out of there. Chip Kelly uh, headed out there. I think it's going to take a couple years to get the Bruins in shape uh, there. So you still got to like uh, Washington uh, there. Uh, and they certainly have the best coach in the league, Chris Peterson. Uh, should should have the best team. Uh, and then you've got Stanford and Oregon next in line. In the end. And then you've got USC uh, in the south. Uh, but uh, I, I know a lot of news is around UCLA, but I don't know that we're going to see any major movements out of the Pac-12 unless Washington really has the opportunity uh, to get in a BCS bowl, and then we might see something happen toward a national championship contender. A little early to talk about that now, but I think for the moment, nobody that I would see outside of Washington, even though all, all the eyes are going to be on UCLA and Chip Kelly. Well, I will disagree with you on on one thing. Actually, David Shaw at Stanford. David Shaw is by far the best coach in that conference. That's the way it's been that way for five years. We keep seeing uh, and hearing after each season that David Shaw is looking at NFL options or some of these NFL teams are looking at David Shaw. David Shaw is head and shoulders above every other other coach in that league. And uh, the other thing I would say is watch out for Stanford. They still have Bryce Love, and Bryce Love is going to be the Heisman front runner if he's not. I don't think came out that poll just yet, or you know these uh, contenders. They should should because we're probably getting close to mid July here. But uh, Bryce, they still have Bryce Love running back, so uh, he was he finished second in the Heisman voting last year, and he's still there. So they they got a superstar running back. Uh, 
just on the level of the kid from Penn State last year. So uh, they're they're going to be tough. I think they're probably going to be the best team in, in the Pac-12. I know Chris Peterson and Washington are always good. Uh, for some reason, they cannot ever beat Stanford. They lose Stanford every year. Uh, they'll score a million points against every, every other team they play, and then they go against David Shaw, and David Shaw slows them down, and they end up dropping, you know, the game to Stanford by a couple touchdowns. They, they Stanford sold them down, and Chris Peterson doesn't know what to do. It happens every year. So I would say Stanford is the best team in, in that conference. I know everybody wants to watch uh, UCLA, how Chip Kelly's going to do. I mean, you get a new coach like that, it, it takes two or three years to get the players you need to run his type of system. So it's not going to happen this year for UCLA. Uh, USC is no more Sam Bradford at USC. Uh, they're probably going to be a little down this year. I'm thinking seven, eight wins for USC, which uh, that might get Todd Helton, not Todd Helton, Coach Helton. Todd Helton's a baseball player. I'm all over the place <laughs> today. <laughs> Clay, it's, it's Clay okay, Helton. <laughs> That's probably Clay Helton fired, you know, from USC. I I, I don't know. He's pretty, he's pretty successful at USC. I I don't know, but every year there's just something about him. He's been there for a long time, and their fan base just doesn't like him. It's kind of like the whole Brian Kelly thing with Notre Dame. You know, eight wins isn't good enough, so we need to get him out of town. Uh, Clay Helton's going through the same thing at USC. So when he wins seven or eight games this year, he they might just fire him. You know, how USC does. He'll walk off the plane. I'm gonna fire him on the tarmac like he did playing kissing you. <laughs> I, I say Stanford's need to watch out for this year. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I I like Blaine Kiffin. I, I know we're getting a little in the weeds here, but I I would be all for a team uh, a power team uh, giving him a, a, another shot. So we'll see see what happens. Uh, going to number six in the power ranking conferences, we're talking college football 2018. Getting ready, uh, obviously just a uh, Stirring the pot a little bit, getting things ready to go, because before we know it, we'll be in full-fledged uh, college football mode. I What I call the uh, red-headed stepchild, if you will, nothing against redheads or stepchildren, but it's just the same, uh, in, the, in the college football arena. And that's the American uh, League, the AAC, uh, if you will. Uh, but certainly, uh, they weren't so much the red-headed stepchild last year with UCF. I think still a lot of people are the favorite of them. Of course, you've got Teams like Houston and Memphis and Navy all in the top three there uh, with uh, the American Conference. So all, a lot of times there's teams that are do well. We hear and we have a lot of conversations about them, but we don't really talk about the American uh, Conference, American, the AAC Conference very much. Of course, they also house, uh, uh, like I said, Memphis and, Nebraska, uh, and Scott Frost, who uh, came down from Nebraska, I believe, to uh, uh UCF or South Florida? I'm not sure. So my apologies on on getting that that backwards there. If I've got it back, UCF, you're uh, right. It's UCF. And then of course, uh, yeah. So South Florida and Temple are both going to be uh, contenders within this this league. But I think you got to look at UCF as as the strong uh, strongest team in the American. Well, uh, what division is a you know, Lane Kiffin and uh, Florida Atlantic in. Are they just not? They've got to be in some, some conference. Conference USA. Okay. They're, we're going to get to that. That's different than the American. They're number oh. eight. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> That's the team of Florida to watch out for anymore, man. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, 
Conference USA and all these teams you just talked about are the teams the elite programs don't want to play. And we're familiar with Navy because of the Irish, and that's a uh, you know, every year that's one of the great greatest games. That's one of the no, no, no. The Army Navy season, game yeah. is the great. The Army Navy game is well, the best game of the, of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, congratulations! Was a big win last year once again. But uh, oh yeah, yeah I was just going to say these are all these these are all teams that the elite programs don't want to play because last year was the. Uh, the actual uh, college football national champion in uh, Central Florida, UCF, with Scott Frost, you know, and then uh, the year before that, uh, Houston made a lot of noise with Tom Herman, uh, head coach of Florida. You know, he took off. He's now the head coach of Texas, but, you know, scoring 40, 50 points a game and uh, winning these big matchups and taking down a couple of these elite programs and had a great year. I think only lost one game. These are all teams you – you don't the the big boys don't want to face because you know, all the recruits on on these teams are all the guys the big programs didn't want to recruit they turned them down for some reason and as it turns out they're really good football players they have a big chip on their shoulder at these teams at these programs and the big boys don't want to face them and I'd say you know they're probably right because the way Scott Frost ran UCF last year and uh, nobody ever wants to play Navy. You know, or you know, Army for that matter, and the way Tom Herbert ran Houston two years ago, and just all the amount of points that they put up, they're hard to stop these teams. And they're really good football teams, and they could actually be a better conference than, you know, maybe the ACC this year. You know, minus Miami not getting in the playoff or just something crazy like that. But they they're going to give you a good football game these these programs, so. I don't know. I guess maybe the the schedule and the caliber of teams they play against is why they get knocked down in the power rankings or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but these are great programs that nobody wants to play. We talk about great programs, and that moves us into number seven in the Mountain West. A lot. I I just think just because of these teams that are in the Mountain West, it would be ranked a little bit higher. I mean, you got Fresno's. Uh, Fresno State had a resurgence under uh, Jeff Tefford. Uh, it's been a real positive development there. Uh, of course, you know, they've got Boise, Boise State, uh, and, and the Mountain West uh, lags behind the AAC, if you will, for the uh, unofficial title of the top group of, of, uh, of the five league, if you will. But Boise State, I mean, the Broncos every year are right there, right there. But, again, it's a... It's a <laughs> It's I was going to say, you're uh, leaving out the best team in the Mountain West. You're leaving out the best team in the Mountain West. That's Air Force. <laughs> oh! <laughs> you're right. My fault. My bad. Thanks, thanks for catching that. <laughs> so we talked we talk about the uh, – talk, go ahead. I, yeah, I just want to say I think it's just that, the, you know, they start looking at uh, the caliber teams these teams play against and – strength of schedules and everything. That's what knocks these conferences down. But nobody wants to play against Air Force. I mean, they're going to beat the hell out of you just like Army and Navy does. Uh, so, you know, Boise State can catch you by surprise. Did Oklahoma several years ago with the Statue of Liberty play. So, you know, there, there's a couple teams in the Mountain West, just like Houston, uh, Central Florida, and Navy in the in the American. Uh, the big boys don't really want to schedule. They definitely ain't going to play an away game, you know, at these teams, it's going to be a neutral site game or it's going to be a home game, if that tells you anything. So uh, it's just they have some great teams to, to look into. I think it's just more or less their strength of schedule and caliber of teams they play against. 
Yeah, that's really what it comes down to, and and I guess that's the conversation that we always have when we when we're talking about the college football playoffs is the strength of schedule. Well, the thing about it is, I still think there's got to be a way. They do it in basketball. They could do it in football. They don't have to have as many teams uh, in it as they do in basketball. Uh, there could be a, a, a different. And I know we talked for the longest time. We wanted a college football playoffs. We wanted a college football playoffs, but. What's, what we're seeing with college football playoffs is what we knew was going to happen is you're, you're going to have always the Alabamas. You're always going to have your Ohio States. You're always going to have, you know, your Clemsons. It, and there's never an opportunity uh, for a team like Boise State or a, a, a team out of the MAC, you know, uh, 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 Toledo or uh, Miami of Ohio where uh, Ben Roethlisberger went or Buffalo or any of these teams that are good teams in their own right but because of strength of schedule, they never get a chance or an opportunity to advance in the college football championships and the playoffs. And I think that's, I think it was just put together so that we always see teams like Alabama in the national football championship game. Well, I would say for these teams to start coming up is uh, schedule one of these bigger teams in the non-conference uh, for one. And not only uh not only just schedule exactly. them, but lose close or actually win or have a great season and make it to a bowl game, win the bowl game, but maintain that success year after year. And then that's how you start building a program. It, it's not something that's going to take overnight to do. It's going to take three, four, five, eight years to do it. But you're going to have to start scheduling some of the elite programs. And not only do you have to schedule them, you can't embarrass yourself when you play against them. So, that's well, where it starts. A lot of, and, and I don't think a lot of people know this, and maybe they do, but uh, but I know that that we're not very knowledgeable of, of the sport. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of these smaller teams will pay a bigger team to allow them to pl- to play them uh, and to get onto their schedule. So a lot of times uh, there's a monetary um, decision that has to be made. It's it's a conversation that we'll keep having on and on and on and on again. And uh, I know we're about to the end of our segment here, uh, but uh, you know the Mac was number nine. Hey, well, I, I will say, quickly... I, yeah, I will say what you say, what you get ready to get into there is one of my pet peeves of college football. I absolutely hate, and they see the uh, elite programs, schools of million dollars to play against them and whatever, just kind of because it does help out their their sports programs. That's what that money goes to, but when they play against these FCS schools, that drives me insane. If Alabama wants to play against Ball State, great, because that's still Division One versus Division One, FBS versus FBS. But when Alabama plays against Chattanooga, uh, Cheerios State or whatever the hell these teams, are, they, they find every year to beat up on uh, during the middle of the regular season, that drives me insane. That should never happen. And when these elite teams do this. That should disqualify them from any postseason because you don't see the NFL going north of the border and playing Canadian, playing against a Canadian Football League team uh, midseason. So why the hell would you do it in college football? Just take a step down and, and, and play an FCS school midseason. That drives me insane. And they want to play a Notre Dame only plays 12 games a year instead of 13. Well, Bama plays 13 games, but one game is against one of these FCS schools, maybe even two of them during the course of the season. So that drives me insane. Uh, maybe other people could feel as passionately about this as me. Maybe not. Maybe I'm dead wrong to some people. But if you're a Division One school and you want to be, uh, you know, make the playoffs or even a postseason bowl game, 
don't play as FCS schools because I think if you take a step down during the year and play an FCS school, you should automatically be dis- be disqualified. Um, how do you feel about that, Rick? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty happy. I'm pretty happy. I feel good about it. <laughs> <laughs> Rick Wiggin, our executive producer of The Balance. I know you've got to jump off here. We're going to be joined by uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show. And, you know, we're going to, what we're going to get into here in just a moment is, uh, wow, LeBron James, say what you will, but the man is getting paid $153 million over four years. And uh, certainly – and uh, we, we saw Lance Stevenson from the Pacers join up with the Lakers. And it's and I heard tell uh, from Pritchard's news conference that uh, LeBron picked up the phone and said, you can't beat me. You might as well join me. So they were trying to work out a deal with the Pacers to bring him back. Uh, but the $35.65 million is what LeBron James will earn in 2019, not, not counting – not counting his other stuff, his uh, his endorsements and things like that. That's just from the L.A. Lakers. Now, if that's not enough to make you want to, I don't know. To, I, I, we could get into the conversation about highly overrated in these mega contracts that are given out by by TV networks and all that good stuff, but we're going to get into that uh, with Mo from the BS Sports Show who joins us right now. And, and Rick, I know you got to go, but um, Mo, you with us? Hello. Mo from the BS Sports Show joins us. Go ahead, Rick. Did you, did you, were you saying something? Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, uh, yeah, before I jump off here, uh, the whole Jordan versus LeBron argument for me is over with. Uh, you didn't see Jordan had to bounce around to several different teams trying to find like great players to play with. Uh, players come to play with the great player. The great player doesn't go around the league to play with other players. You know what I mean? So that whole argument is done. That he's no, he'll never be in Jordan's league now for for doing this, and I don't even care that I'm not even a Cavs fan, Lakers fan, whatever. But I do like LeBron, but that whole argument for me is over with. He's he's not as great as Jordan ever will be. There you go, there you go. Uh, Mostly the BS Sports Show and Rick. I know you got I, I know you got to hop off here, buddy. So you have yourself a good weekend, yeah. and uh, we'll catch up with have you soon. One, Rick, Rick and uh, talk. Thanks, Rick. Uh, talking some college football with us. Uh, we had uh, Tyson Lightslogger talking IndyCar with us uh, about uh, the uh, Iowa Corn 300 up in Newton, Iowa. Of course, it's Daytona down in NASCAR land. Uh, a lot of action and mayhem going to happen down there. But no more mayhem this week to talk about in sports. We're going to talk about uh, with Mo from the BS Sports Show. Mo, LeBron James gets paid. Okay, let's then about it. Okay. It doesn't really matter. He is a Laker, but let's talk a little bit about these mega contracts. This is unreal money. Uh, $39 million is what he'll earn in 2019. First of all, uh, welcome, Mo, but what are your thoughts on LeBron James and going to the Lakers? And Everybody's talking about it, so we might as well talk about it, too, and there's some other things that I want to throw in there while we've got you on today. Uh, But LeBron James to the City of Angels, what say you, sir? Well, I mean, I think it makes sense for – uh, his interest outside of basketball, you know, he, he does have a production company that has had some success with uh, a, a documentary film and a couple of television shows. Uh, and, you know, LeBron, I think, is, uh, uh, likes to have his hand in that a lot more. Plus, I think it's good for, uh, for his uh, oldest son, who is one of the top uh, 
you know, uh, high school basketball players in the country, I think it's, it's a chance for his son to play with some better players out there in Los Angeles and, and get some more exposure uh, as well. And, you know, it's not like uh, LeBron's unfamiliar with L.A. He already has a couple of houses out there. Uh, you know, you get out of the uh, out of the uh, winters of, uh, of Cleveland Akron. And I think the biggest thing it does for him, uh, honestly, is I know a lot of people feel like he has pressure to bring the Lakers back to glory, but I think it takes some of that hometown pressure away from him. They're having to try to drag a team of stiffs to the NBA Finals every year. So I, I think in that aspect, uh, it takes some pressure off them because, let's face it, LeBron was the economy and the uh, you know the the light of uh, Cleveland pro sports. So you know a lot of those downtown businesses. Well, absolutely, and you know it is so funny that you talk about his son being one of the top high school prospects, like father, like son. I guess you, it's it's kind of expected that, that it would happen that way. But you wonder if his son will take the same path as as the dad did and and see what what happens. Um, so here here's the other thing. Now we've got. We've got uh, LeBron to the Lakers. The Pacers said, uh, Lance Davidson, we don't want you anymore. We're going to let you go. Good business decision on their part. Uh, this things came together, and they tried to work out a deal together, and apparently LeBron said, hey, uh, why don't you come whisper in my ear in L.A.? And apparently, uh, from what I hear and what we could infer from Pritchard's news conference yesterday, I don't know if you got a chance to watch it or listen to it, but basically uh, uh, Lance has taken less money to go to the Lakers to play with LeBron James than what he would have made uh, coming back to the Pacers if they could have worked out a deal. Um, I think a lot of uh, Pacer fans would have liked to see that happen. I don't know that that, uh, they are as upset with him as they were with Paul George, Uh, but Lance Stevenson, I don't know that he's going to get the minutes. I don't know. It's it's a one-year contract. We might accidentally see him back at the Pacers, but I think that call from LeBron James to Lance Stevenson – played a lot for him uh, deciding to go ahead and go with the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good for Lance Stevenson as the brand for the person Lance Stevenson. It puts you in a big market. It puts you uh, next to LeBron where you're a story every night as opposed to with Lance Stevenson, you're a story when you do, uh, you know, something uh, crazy on the court or you do or you play against LeBron in the NBA uh, playoffs. So for Lance, uh, personally, it's probably the best move. And, you know, I think LeBron sees what a lot of people saw is, is when Lance is on and focused, uh, Lance can be, uh, you know, a spark A off the bench, and, and Lance can be a good player. But I think it's been years since Lance had that uh, father-type figure or somebody who could who could control Lance and, you know, kind of set the ground rules like Larry Bird did early on to Lance Stevenson when he flourished as a pacer. So I, I think with the way LeBron controls that locker room that Lance could really honestly flourish in this role and turn this one-year deal into something bigger, either A, with the Lakers or somewhere else. So I think uh, for Lance personally, it was probably a smart move. Well, let's talk about the other elephant in the room in the West. There can only be one team representing the NBA championship in the West. A lot of people think it's going to be the Lakers now, but you still got to realize that uh, the Warriors are there. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins to the Warriors. First of all, thoughts about that. And second of all, do you think that the Lakers have stacked uh, have stacked their team to get what they need to to do that. I mean, you look at uh, uh, McGee um, left the Warriors to go to the Lakers, and, but the the Warriors pick up Demarcus Cousin, which I think is probably one of the biggest pickups so far that we've talked about this week. Well, yeah, because you look at Demarcus Cousins will be returning in probably after the All Star break, so 
you'll have them for the stretch run and for the playoffs. And at that point, then you're starting five all-stars in your starting lineup. Uh, I, I've looked and tried to think of a time when, when five all-stars have been started. And I think it, it, you have to look back probably to one year of those 60 ish uh, Celtics, you know, even with the Showtime Lakers and everybody on that team was an all-star uh, the, the mid nineties bulls and everybody on that team was an all-star, but you look at this, uh, Warriors team, and it, it almost seems like it's just not fair. But, uh, you know, rumors have it that the Lakers have now turned their eyes uh, towards a trade for Damian Lillard as opposed to uh, to Kawhi. So uh, Damian Lillard with LeBron would uh, would be fun. LeBron we saw thrive with a point guard uh, who could score and get his own shot and, and drive to the hoop, which Damian Lillard can do. I don't know that he's better than Kyrie at that, but he is uh, he is a guy who can stay healthy uh, where Kyrie can't. And, and, you know, I think that the Lakers will make a push to add more, uh, you know, as we get closer to the trading deadline next February. Uh, so, you know, and, and a couple of rumors that have swirled around here over the last, uh, you know, 18 to 24 hours is that they're, the Lakers have looked uh, to possibly uh, run in L.A. Uh, Kevin Love's a guy from the, uh, from the West Coast, up from in, in the uh, Portland area. He's a guy uh, who went to UCLA. He's a guy who wanted to go back. Uh, to Los Angeles before he wound up getting traded to the Cavaliers. Uh, so there's possibility there. The other possibility is uh, a guy like Jimmy Butler, who is a great two-way player, who is unhappy in Minnesota. He's unhappy with Carl Anthony Towns and his work ethic. Andrew Wiggins is also unhappy with the number of touches. So it's possible, uh, if, if rumors are true, that Jimmy Butler, before he can opt out next year, could force a trade. And uh, a destination could be the Los Angeles Lakers. So I don't think the Lakers are done by any stretch. They're in a bunch of guys. Uh, who can play? Who have got uh, who've got some depth, and, and I think you added a bunch of guys in one-year contracts uh, who need to uh, who need to prove something to make a big contract next year. And then don't be shocked that uh, you know come first part of the season at the end of training camp, Lamonzo balls back that uh, that he's on the move somewhere because uh, I don't think there's any way LeBron uh, and Magic can deal another year with LeVar Ball, who supposedly leaked the injury uh, that Lonzo had to not be traded in one of these deals. So. I would say Lonzo is going to send it on his way out, and you'll see uh, another, you know, top 20 player in the NBA with LeBron James. You know, the the question was proposed to Pritchard about the Pacers. Uh, Would you pick up the phone from the Lakers regarding uh, uh, Ball? He said he's willing to talk to anybody about any deal that makes sense. So I guess the question would be, does Alonzo Ball make sense for the Pacers? No, and here's why. Uh, I mean, A, you've got uh, Tariq Evans, you've got Darren Carlson, but here's the biggest thing. Remember, you know, you think back a few years ago, uh, Pacers were in first place. They're cruising uh, to a uh, first round, uh, to a number one seed in the, uh, in the East, and, you know, ready to finally take on the, uh, the Heat and LeBron James for the third year in a row. And then that trade is made where Danny Granger shipped out and Evan Turner is brought in. And not that Evan Turner's a bad guy, but it completely screwed up the locker room, screwed up the team. There was infighting. There's lots of issues going on, and and not necessarily that's the case because of Lonzo Ball himself, but bringing LeVar Ball uh, into uh, into Indianapolis, I think, is, is a terrible move. Why it's good for the Pacers uh, is because now uh, the Pacers are in the media spotlight every day. Because let's be honest, as good as the Pacers are and as fun as they were to watch this past year, nationally nobody's talking about the, the Pacers. So from a marketing standpoint-wise, whether it's good and bad press, the Pacers now are a story probably every day, every other day during the NBA season. But uh, I think that it, it, it would be toxic 
for uh, for your locker room and for the development of these good young guys you've got around this basketball team. Well, it looks like the Lakers uh, won't be picking up Kawhi Leonard. <clears throat> I think a lot of people are talking about possibly the Philadelphia 76ers as a good landing spot uh, for Kawhi Leonard. Do you think the Spurs would trade for anything with Philadelphia regarding Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard? Well, yeah, because at this point, when you're, when you're the Spurs, you know that you're not resigning him next year unless you're doing a sign-and-trade, which if Kawhi is smart, and I think he is, uh, you see what Carmelo did to the Knicks, you know, years ago when he did force Denver to do that signing to a huge deal, and he basically just pillaged the the Knicks team of any talent they had left. So I, you know, I think that uh, you know the, the Spurs are one of the best GMs in the league, obviously in RC Buford, and I think that uh, between the Celtics and the uh, uh, and the 76ers, you get your best options of getting the most return you possibly can. Uh, you know, you see guys who have gone to uh, Greg Popovich and have, have been able to work on their shot. Guys who have had bad shots and went there and been able to uh, correct their shots. You know, uh, he's a guy, uh, Greg Popovich, who extended Richard Jefferson's career by about five or six years. Uh, he was on his last legs in the NBA, terrible, and he goes there and, and thinks, uh, you know, are, are so much better for Richard Jefferson. So, trading uh, for a guy like Markel Fultz, uh, I think would be would be phenomenal. Getting a guy. Uh, who is young and can shoot, you can mold. Uh, with, also with the absence of Tony Parker on his way to Charlotte, uh, wouldn't be bad for them. You've got uh, some draft picks that the 76ers have held on to, which wouldn't uh, be terrible to get. And there's a couple other decent young players there, uh, Sarkic and a couple other guys that wouldn't be terrible pieces for them at all. Now, if you're the 76ers, to do that, you've got to hope that uh, you can convince Kawhi Leonard that this is the place for him to be and a place for him to play for an NBA championship every year with LeBron moving to the West and not just a one-year rental, and does he really want to be in L.A.? So that's the risk you got to take. Can you, can you, can you do a Oklahoma City Thunder, Paul George type deal where you got him for a year and you got to hope you can convince him to stay? So it, it, I think the 76ers will be a great spot for him and a fun spot for him, and then you have to convince him to stay past the end of the season. Mo, for the BS Sports Show, I know we've only got you for a limited amount of time, so I want to get one more thought from you <clears throat> before we let you go. Paul George, obviously the other elephant in the room. I mean, uh, uh, the, the the thought was that he was going to make a, a a detour spot in Oklahoma and then go over to the, to the Lakers. The thought was that it was going to happen that uh, Paul George and LeBron James were going to join forces together in, in, in L.A. But now, oh, how the tides have turned, if you will. Paul George signs a multi-year contract with Oklahoma City. Of course, Oklahoma City fans are happy about that. Uh, you know what? What I guess it became clear that he wasn't going to become a Laker, so he's like, I'm just going to stay where I'm at with Oklahoma and get paid and be the man at at uh, the Thunder. Or what? What do you think created such a, a change of events so quickly with Paul George staying with uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder? Oh, I, I think Paul George enjoyed playing um, with Russell Westbrook last year, and for once. You know, not every win or loss was either was blamed on Paul George. It was Russell Westbrook's team, and uh, and and Paul didn't have to be that main focal point. He was still able to do what he had to do. What shocked me about it is that he didn't sign a two-year deal to where uh, his next contract would be once he was a uh, 10-year NBA vet and would be eligible for that 200 plus million dollar max contract. But uh, he committed to Oklahoma City, and and I'm sure they're not done trying to build that team as they get ready to release Carmelo Anthony and free up a ton of money uh, in, in order to try to bring some more guys in there to play. 
uh, if you're going to compete in the West now, it's all about a super team. If you look uh, at uh, at uh, what Oklahoma City was doing last year, you know, they were tough on Golden State uh, all year long in the regular season. They've got to be able now to uh, to compete when it comes to the playoffs, and I, I think they're not that out in pieces yet. Mo from the BS Sports Show, we always enjoy having you on board. I hope you have yourself a good weekend. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? On Twitter, at Mo Radio Show. That's Twitter. All right, buddy. Uh, we'll, and we always try to make sure that we uh, retweet a lot of your stuff as you as you put it down. Make sure you have yourself a good weekend, sir. We'll catch up with you soon. Hi, right, buddy. You too. Thank you. Uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show talking a little NBA with us and LeBron James. Are we all tired of talking about LeBron James? Well, let's face it. LeBron James is LeBron James, and uh, apparently uh, uh, the heir apparent uh, to LeBron James is is on his way up uh, as one of the top high school prospects uh, in the nation. And as we remember, uh, a young LeBron James and out of Akron, Ohio, uh, one of the first the reasons why uh, a lot of uh, networks for the first time were showing high school basketball games that LeBron James was playing in. He was just that good. Um, and clearly he is one of the, he is a beast. He is a, he's a, uh, uh, a super hero in the NBA. And we could have the conversation. Is uh, Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? But, you know, I think it's generationally speaking because each each generation has their guy. You know, there was Magic Johnson for a while. He was the guy. Uh, you know, there were so many people that were the guy. So right now, the guy is LeBron James, and, you know, we're talking about him. And so, and, you know, it is what it is. I want to thank uh, Tyson Lautenschlager giving us a call uh, from up in Canada. Uh, point out real quickly that uh, uh, he'll be at the uh, IndyCar race in Toronto all weekend next week. I'm sorry, all weekend next week uh, in, the, in the media center for On Pit Road. So make sure you're following onpitroad.com, and then we'll try to have him on next week also from uh, Toronto uh, to talk IndyCar with us. So uh, thank you, Tyson Lott Slugger, of, uh, and you can follow him at uh, Tyson Lott. Uh, and, of course, on pitroad.com. Uh, thank you for uh, giving us the breakdown of IndyCar. Uh, the Iowa Corn 300 up in Newton, Iowa. Also talked with Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor. Uh, joined us and talked with us a little bit about Daytona and what was going on down there and certainly uh, the mayhem that we can we can look forward to. Basically, it's going to be a great race tonight. It's going to be on NBC. I think it comes on at 7 o'clock. Uh, thank you to Rick Reagan, our executive uh, producer, uh, taking some time off of his vacation to jump on with us to talk some college football as we broke down the 2018 power uh, conferences. And uh, Mo from the BS Sports Show uh, joined us and talked with us a little bit about LeBron James, NBA. And uh, that kind of brings us full circle. If you're listening to us on the podcast, thank you very much. Uh, hopefully you, you hit subscribe on your platform, and whether that's uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, a- Apple Podcasts, what have you. Uh, we, we are soon to be added to other platforms like Shoutcast, and others. So if you are listening to us on the podcast, the great thing about our podcast is it's our show, our live show. We do live right here on Blog Talk Radio every Saturday morning between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. And we and we uh, beam across the United States and across to, uh, to our affiliate radio stations as well. Thank you to all of them who, who run our show through the live feed as well. So 
However you're listening to us, we thank you. We have a great time with this show every single week. My name is Tom Marquisel, Presidente. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter as well. Because this really is the one place where fanatics can come together, talk about their favorite team. We bring you an analytical breakdown. Yeah, that's uh, maybe sometimes analytical might be a big word to use uh, from a, a fan's point of view. And that's you, the fan. That's us, the fan. And we try to do things a little bit different here than a lot of your other shows, a lot of your other sportscasts. We try to just put that human element into it. And uh, so we, we appreciate everybody that helps us uh, do that. We certainly have great interviews and sound bites. And so, uh, you know, uh, just uh, follow us on at T-Balance uh, on Twitter uh, and also on Facebook. Search The Balance. And I appreciate you guys hanging out with me with my voice today. Man, <laughs> I I have uh, I woke up this morning with the worst throat hurt phlegm. I know it's too early in the morning to get into all the gross details, uh, but we made it through. We made it through to the other side. Pushed on through to the other side. <laughs> all right, I won't break. I won't break out into any doors. That'll cause you guys to go running out the doors, if you will, running away. I hope you enjoy your Saturday. Remember, be safe. Don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. I'm out of here. We'll see you. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.